not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. It is not my goal to sow discord in this congregation, but to bring clarity on the greatest dispute that faces us as a church. The owls are to bring your own potato. I don't know how this has been confused, but I would like to settle the matter. If you do not bring a potato, it is now your own fault. All right, what is the value of a single soul? This is the question that we have been asking as a congregation for over a year now. We asked you as, as a congregation, as individuals, to look in your life and, and to find one person, to identify one person in your life. It, it, it may be a family member, it may be a coworker, it may be a friend, it, it may be a classmate, or, or, or it may be someone next door to you that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ because they haven't obeyed the gospel, they haven't put on Christ in baptism, and, and we asked you to identify that one person. And last year we had you write your name down on this card that you see on the screen, the card you see in front of you this morning. Leave those alone for now. Don't let your kid tear it up. Don't throw it away. Don't blow your nose in it. We're going to use them in a minute, okay? Leave those as they are for the moment. But we asked you to write their name down on that card and put it on the back of your cell phone case or on your refrigerator or on the dashboard of your car or or wherever you might constantly see something and to have that constant reminder of that soul who is in need of you. We even allowed, uh, or we, we even offered this 10-step evangelism process that would help guide you all the way to the point of Bible study with that individual. How did that go for you? How did it go? This past year. You know, a couple months ago, we took the time in our annual Refined Sunday on December 3rd, we took the time to talk about individuals in this congregation who took this seriously, who took up the challenge of, of making a difference in their one, in their one's life. 
And we had the opportunity to, to talk about tremendous and incredible stories that occurred last year because of people who were willing to do whatever it took to bring their one to Christ. As a congregation, we had an amazing year. In fact, more people put on Christ in baptism this past year than almost the last decade any other calendar year. And it's mainly because there were individuals in this congregation who were willing to identify one person and devote themselves entirely to that person throughout the year. Before we even get started, I want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving to our Lord for the people you see on the screen. This, by the way, this isn't even all of them. There were more. I, just, I know our screen's bigger, but we couldn't fit all that occurred last year. And I, I, I want to give thanks to God. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much. You are amazing, and you promise that if we will plant, if we will water, that you will bring the increase. We have seen that to be true this past year. Thank you so much for all those that have obeyed the gospel this past year. We thank you for Jaime Velasquez and Katrina Chambers and Adam and Bonnie Graham and Alyssa Vahimer Meyer, Emma Stowe, Anthony Sims, Tara Farmer, and just all the others that are connected uh, to individuals being willing to identify one soul in their life and bring them to you. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. And we pray for more fruit among us this year. It's in Jesus' name we pray and amen. God has truly done some incredible things among us this year. You know, sometimes it's very easy for us to get bogged down in the negative, right? It's easy for us to get bogged down in, in some of the negative things that are going on, some of the trials that we're going through, some of the flaws that we see around us. But today we just want to focus on the great things that God is doing. Because sometimes we don't give him the credit. We don't celebrate the victories the way we should. However... Among some of these victories, among some of these great things that are going on in the past year at this congregation, maybe some of you tried. Maybe some of you last year, you remember it was in front of you and you picked up that card and, and, and you wrote someone's name down and maybe you even went back to the back in the missions hall and, and you got one of those Who Is My Neighbor booklets and, and you started to follow the steps and, and you tried at the beginning of the year and, and you started to hit some roadblocks and you started to hit some, some trial. Today I want to talk to you. I want to talk to those of you who tried. I want to talk to those of you who tried and even after every one of those attempts and all of those different efforts that you made, maybe you feel like you came up short. Or... Maybe worse than that, you feel rejected. Maybe you feel like as the more you tried to open that door, the more that door got closed right in your face. The more efforts that you tried to make with your one, the, the, 
the more you felt rejected over and over again. And trust me, I know how that feels. As minister of evangelism, I know rejection, and I know what that feels like. Rejection is awful, okay? No, no one wants to be rejected, okay? Rejection is, honestly, it's awkward, isn't it? Especially in the context of evangelism, it's very awkward because you have to go on being friends. You have to go on being family members. You have to go on being co-workers. You have to go on seeing and encountering these people over and over again. It's, it's awkward. It's painful. It makes you ultimately question yourself and question your abilities, doesn't it? I have spoiler alert for you today. No one ever said soul winning was easy. In fact, the Bible declares and prepares us for the exact opposite. Jesus prepared both his apostles and his disciples for the exact opposite, that winning souls was ultimately going to get a lot of them killed. Remember what Jesus says in our scripture reading in Luke chapter 10 and verse 16. He says, he who hears you hears me. But he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Remember this, that if somebody rejects you because you are declaring the gospel, you are proclaiming the gospel to someone, it, they're not rejecting you. They are rejecting Jesus. They are rejecting the word of God. They are rejecting the gospel of Christ they are rejecting all of the things that God is offering. You're not the one offering all these things. You're not offering salvation. You're not offering forgiveness. And so why do you believe that they're rejecting you? That's why Jesus says, if, if somebody's listening to you and you're proclaiming the gospel, they're, it's, it's me that they are hearing. If someone rejects you, they're rejecting me, not you. Today we're going to take a few moments to talk about when is it time to move on to someone else? At what point in the evangelism process is it okay for us to say, okay, I'm going to direct my focus to someone else. I'm going to direct my focus to someone else other than this person I've been thinking about for the past year? At, at what point is it okay for us to start to divert our focus towards the next one? And maybe you're sitting here thinking or watching online and you think, never, we should never, ever give up on somebody. We should never give up on somebody and, and just not think about them anymore and not worry about their soul anymore. We should never give up on someone, should we? Before we even get started, we aren't talking about giving up on someone. Of course, we never give up on someone. If you were to go back and look at that card and, that you filled out last year and that name on that card, I'm not asking you to look at that name and say, well, we gave it our best shot. We're never going to talk to this individual again. We're going to give up on them. And may God have mercy on their soul. We're not asking you to give up on someone. 
But at the same time, God's word is extremely clear. In fact, it could not be clearer that there is a time when God expects us to devote our focus and our efforts on those who are actually open to receive the gospel. The reality is that we can spend our whole lives focused on individuals, focused on one soul that is never going to obey the gospel because of their hard heart, because of their closed mind. And what happens is, if you only focus on that one person for your whole life, if you never were to think about the dozens of other interactions that you have on a daily basis, if you were never to zoom out and look at the others around you, you would miss the dozens of souls who would have been receptive to the gospel, but you were too zoomed in on one to see them. And in doing so, you know, we don't want to give up on anybody, but in doing so, you gave up on those other people because you never focused on them like you focused on that one. You know, if you've grown up in the church for any amount of time, or, or maybe you've been studying the Bible, you've probably come across this phrase. Shake the dust off your feet. You know, this phrase gets thrown around a lot, and that doesn't mean that we all know what it means, right? Kyle just had a whole series on church words because we all hear these words all the time and don't know what they mean. Sometimes we hear phrases like, shake the dust off your feet and have no idea what they mean. I remember one time I was meeting with a brother in Christ. He was telling me his situation it was a very difficult situation, uh, and we were talking about it. And at the end of this discussion, after he explained the whole situation and, and, and what he was going through and, and all of the things in his life, I just said, I said, brother, I think it's just time for you to shake the dust off your feet. And he looked at me and was like, What are you talking about, right? What are you talking about? You know, sometimes we, we say things and it's things that we've heard our whole lives, but that doesn't mean everybody else have heard, okay? And so maybe you feel that way when you hear this phrase, shake the dust off your feet. You see, the Bible talks about this idea of shaking the dust off seven times in the Scriptures. And out of those seven times... Six of them are in the New Testament. And out of those six times, four of them come out of the mouth of the Lord himself. Four of these examples come out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. And so let's take some, a moment to look at these examples. If you were to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, we're going to see the first example of this in the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew chapter 10, you're going to see Jesus sending out the 12 apostles in what most people call these days the limited commission. You know, in Matthew chapter 28, we see Jesus, he gives the great commission, right? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, amen, right? 
the Great Commission. And we talk about the Great Commission all the time. But before there was a Great Commission, there was a limited commission. And that happens right here in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, you have this limited commission because the limit is he's not asking them to go into all the world. He's asking them to go simply to those in the house of Israel. Look at verses 5 through 7. 5 through 7, it says, These these twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of Samaritans, but... Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. So here we see God has, you know, Jesus has limited their commission to only those in the house of Israel. And in the next few verses, he's going to tell them all the amazing things that God is going to do through them. Look at verse 8. In verse 8, he says they're going to heal the sick. They're going to cleanse the lepers. They're going to raise the dead. They're going to cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely you shall, you will give. Right? These are some pretty amazing things that the apostles are about to do. Right? And a lot of times we think about Jesus going about and doing these very things on the screen. Right? What we forget is the apostles went around doing this too. And what we also forget is Judas, (laughs) Judas is one of the ones he's talking to, going about and doing some of these amazing things on the screen you see on this verse, in verse number 8. But if you were to skip down to verses 14 and 15, Jesus says this, And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Notice, before these apostles are even sent, okay, before they're even sent out to go cleanse the lepers and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and all those things in verse 8, before they're even sent out to do that, Jesus lets them understand, you're about to be rejected. You're about to be rejected. You are going to go to certain towns. You are going to encounter certain individuals that will not receive you. They will not hear your words. It doesn't matter how many people that you're going to heal... It doesn't matter how many you're going to raise from the dead. It doesn't matter how many demons you cast out, how many lepers you cleanse. Jesus says they're not going to hear you. They're not going to receive you at all. Somebody says, well, if they would just keep on healing people, right? If they would just keep on casting out demons and keep on raising people from the dead, surely people would believe. If they would just keep on doing those amazing miracles and and having this empirical evidence for people to see, surely they would say, this is from God. So what they really needed to do is just keep on doing these amazing things. No, that's not what Jesus says. At the end of the day, no matter how many miracles Jesus wound up doing, what did the Pharisees accuse him of? He's doing this from the devil. 
right? It don't matter how many amazing things happen or how many amazing things Jesus does, people are still going to choose not to follow him. People are still going to walk away from him sorrowful throughout his ministry because they cannot follow what he's teaching. Jesus says, instead of wasting your time on people who will not hear, on people who will not receive, instead of wasting your time, he says, shake the dust of that city off your feet. And we should mention that the other two synoptic gospels, Mark and Luke, they include this account as well in their record of the gospel of Jesus. Okay, Turn over to Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 11, Jesus says, And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. If you were to turn over to Luke chapter 9, Jesus says, And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Question. Why does each of these gospel writers make sure to include this command from Jesus? Why would Jesus command that we shake the dust off of our feet. What exactly is he asking us to do? Is this a prescription for today? Well, let's note a few things. There seem to be two things that have to happen before you shake the dust off your feet. If these two things are not present, then there's no need to shake the dust off your feet. Number one. Number one. All right. If they will not receive you, is the first one. Have you ever had an encounter with someone that you just legitimately did not want to spend time with? All right. Some of you are thinking, you're him. That's fine. Maybe I don't want to spend time with you either. Right? Have you ever had somebody that you just didn't want to encounter? Right? You didn't want to talk to. You didn't want to see him. You didn't want to see her. You didn't want to talk to her. And so what do you do in that occasion? All right? Let's imagine somebody's coming my way. Hey. Yeah, you're going to turn the other way, right? You're not going to even receive that person. Okay, you're not going to engage that person in conversation. Why? Because something happened in the past, something was said in the past, and you simply just don't want to spend your time with that person. By the way, this isn't hateful. This isn't wrong. If you love that person, that don't mean you have to like them. Okay? Now, when it comes to evangelism and it comes to the gospel, you're going to encounter people that will not receive you. Second, Jesus says, if they will not listen to you. All right? Some people, we have to receive, right? Some people, we are forced to receive. They make it their mission that we receive them. Right? That don't mean I got to listen. Right? I can stand there, I can smile, I can nod, I can act like I'm right there with you. That don't mean I'm listening. All right, it's the same in evangelism. 
You're going to have people that you encounter, that you interact with, that, that are not going to listen to a word you're saying. And Jesus says, stop casting pearls before swine. In Matthew chapter 7, right? It could be that you're annoying them to the point that you're actually driving them further away from obedience than closer to it. And in that case, you should stop pursuing that person in spiritual conversation. The fact of the matter is, if someone has stopped receiving you, and someone has stopped listening to you, the sad truth is you could be doing more harm than good by continuing to talk about Jesus to them. You're sitting there trying to do the right thing. You're trying to do the right thing of, of making a positive impact in that person's life, but in ultimate, at the end of the day, you could be doing more damage to that person's willingness to obey the gospel. Also, let's take a note that when it comes to shaking off the dust from our feet, this doesn't necessarily mean that we have to tell the person that we're going to do this. Notice what Jesus says. He, he, he doesn't say we got to say it. We, he doesn't say it. it requires that we go to them and say, you're such a horrible, sorry person that I'm going to watch this. I'm going to shake the dust of my feet and I'm going to move on because you're so terrible. It doesn't always require that. Look what he says in those three accounts. In Matthew, in Matthew he says, when you depart from that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. In Mark, he says, when you depart from there, shake off the dust from your feet. In Luke, he says, when you go out of that city, shake the dust off your feet. In all three of these examples, Jesus says, it doesn't require a face-to-face -face conversation that you're going to shake the dust off your feet. So, because of that, I believe the act of shaking the dust off your feet is more a symbolic gesture Instead of a literal one. Jesus isn't saying, like we said, you know, you got to take off your sandal and slap your foot around just to, you know, tick somebody off. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. He's trying to get his apostles to realize that if you're going to allow this negative experience to impact your future willingness to evangelize, if you allow that dust to cling to your feet, if you allow that negative experience to cling to you, it could be doing just as much harm to the gospel as the person who will not receive and will not hear the gospel. Because you're sitting there as the messenger of God, the messenger of the gospel, with clean dirt, dust from the past clinging to you. So instead of carrying that baggage with you, leave that baggage behind, he's saying. Instead of carrying that rejection around with you, leave that rejection behind. The fact of the matter is, it's not your baggage to carry. It wasn't your failure. It's their failure for not listening to the gospel. You didn't come up short. Shaking the dust off your feet is not an indictment on your ability to evangelize. It's not an indictment on the gospel's power. It's a reminder that there are still souls out there who will listen to you if you'll zoom out enough to see them. It's a reminder that there are souls who are seeking and who are craving the gospel. 
And I'm not about to let that negative experience or that closed-minded or closed-hearted person keep me from going on to the next soul. We talk about it all the time in door knocking. If somebody shuts the door in your face, great, there's another door right beside it. Oh, it's the end of the world. Somebody shut the door in my face. Who cares? There's another door right beside it. And that person at that next door may be the one, right? The problem with evangelism today is when we try that one time, we're going to give that one good time a try to, to really get into someone's life and, and really make an impact. And when it takes a turn for the worse, you wind up carrying that negative experience with you for years and years, allowing it to eat away at your willingness to shake it off and go on to the next soul. What do, you teach, what, do you, what do you teach a kid in, in, in baseball? Somebody gets hit by a pitch, right? First time that, that child gets hit by a pitch. What does everybody say? Shake it off, right? Maybe not today. Maybe today they stop the game and bring an ambulance out and do everything they can to save the kid's life. I don't know. But in my day... Shake it off, right? As kids, we're taught this idea of shaking it off, and Jesus is saying the same thing when it comes to evangelism. We see it in the Synoptic Gospels, but we see it also uh, one chapter later in Luke chapter 10. If you go back to Luke's account, you know, Jesus in Luke chapter, 10, in Luke chapter 9, he sends out his apostles. Well, in Luke chapter 10, he sends out his disciples. He sends out 70 or 72, depending on your translation, of his disciples. And look at what happens in verses 10 and 11. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. You know, we just spent a significant amount of time saying it doesn't require a verbal, I am shaking the dust off my feet conversation. But sometimes it does. Jesus told his disciples, he took it a next step with his disciples and said, sometimes that conversation is required. Because sometimes they know better. Sometimes they know better. It's not enough that they aren't going to listen. It's not enough that they're not going to receive you. Sometimes, like this example, they will go so far as to blaspheme the Lord. And Jesus says, when that happens, you have to have that conversation. You have to let them know how disappointed you are in their unwillingness to submit to God's will. And what this is, this conversation, it's a final admonition. That the kingdom of God has been laid at their feet. Salvation, forgiveness, redemption, eternal life, grace, and yes, Jesus has been laid at their feet. How could you reject this? That's what that conversation is. You know what Jesus tells his apostles and he tells his disciples is not anything new. Okay, If you were to look at the Jewish literature, if you were to look at historians, you could see that this is something that the Jews were practicing for centuries. You could look at these accounts and see that it was common practice for the Jews to literally 
when they had, were coming from a surrounding nation, what they would say, a heathen nation, what they would say, a pagan nation, when they would enter the promised land, they would, sh they would literally shake the dust off of their feet before they entered the Holy Land. Why? Because they wanted to remain clean. They wanted to remain undefiled, and they didn't want it to defile the promised land. Okay? We see an example of this in Nehemiah chapter 5. This is the only example, literally, that we can see in the Bible. But in back, all the way back at Nehemiah chapter 5, he says, I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and go from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus, may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Then the people did according to this promise. You can see all the way back at Nehemiah chapter 5 that this was a symbolic example to show that this is now not my job, Nehemiah says. This is now something I'm giving over to God. I'm going to shake this off of me, and now it's God's business. Instead of beating a dead horse, I'm going to give it over to God. Somebody says, all right, so I know, according to this, according to Jewish historians, there's this huge Old Testament context, this Jewish thing that's going on. I'm trying to have an understanding of. I know that Jesus said that this is an expectation. But is there an example in the New Testament church of them shaking the dust off their feet? I'm glad you asked. Yes. All right, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Oh, 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 oh. Go back. Go back. Yep. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 48, says, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook Next slide. They shook the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul and Barnabas were preaching in Pisidian Antioch. The Gentiles were extremely responsive, extremely receptive, and the Jews were not. When the Jews heard this message, they did everything in their power to shut Paul and Barnabas down. And so they persecuted them and expelled them from the city. And instead of sitting at the border of the city crying, instead of sitting at the border of Antioch saying, Poor pitiful me! It says they shook the dust off of their feet and went into Iconium. Look at what happens in the very next verse. Acts chapter 14 and verse 1. It happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude of both the Jews and of the Gentiles believed. And that would have never happened if they didn't shake the dust off of their feet. That would have never happened if they just keep preaching to deaf ears. Turn over real quick to Acts chapter 18. Here's another example in Acts chapter 18. Beginning in verse 5, Paul does this same thing again. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. 
But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. I want to point out a few things. In Acts chapter 13, when he shook the dust off, they had already been expelled from Antioch. But here in chapter 18, you see this verbal indictment by Paul. Paul knew his audience needed to be verbally convicted of this behavior. And so he did it. But look what happens. After he shook the dust of his garment, after he shook his garment, they would have instantly thought of Nehemiah and a Jewish audience like that in a synagogue. After he shook his garment, he went to the very next house, and what happened? Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue that was just blaspheming the Lord, that was just being unreceptive, that saw him shake the garment. Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. He follows Paul over to Justice's house and obeys the gospel. It wasn't until after Paul shook his garment and shook the dust off that somebody was saved. He and his whole household and many other Corinthians. So, what does all this mean? What does all of this mean when it comes to shaking the dust from your feet? This morning, if you're carrying the baggage of past negative encounters with you, it's time to shake off the dust and move forward. If you feel like you have just become someone who is badgering someone else about obeying the gospel, and they are avoiding you and ignoring you and not listening to you, it may be time to shake off the dust from your feet and find someone who is seeking. If you feel like no matter what you do or say, they're not going to listen. You're probably right. I've always been amazed by this example. In Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit forbids Paul to go into Asia, to, to, to go into Bithynia. All right? Paul was the greatest evangelist at the time. Why would the Holy Spirit forbid Paul from preaching the gospel in Bithynia? Well, it's because he was never meant to. Because if you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, Peter addresses his epistle to the Christians in Bithynia. You see, the message is, it doesn't matter how powerful an evangelist you are or, or how effective you are at communicating the word. Sometimes they're not going to receive you but they'll receive someone else. Sometimes they're not going to listen to you, but they will listen to someone else. Maybe when you look back at that card from last year, you look back at that soul, maybe you're that person's Paul, and they are your Bithynia. When we shake the dust off of our feet, this is what, accomplished, what is accomplished by that. We are handing that soul over to God. 
We are keeping ourselves pure, keeping ourselves clean. We are making the best use of our time. We are focusing on seekers. We are able to warn those who know better. And ultimately, we are clearing our conscience knowing that we have done everything that we can do. And it's time to move on to the next one. So, today, in front of you, there are brand new cards. In front of you, there are brand new cards that each of you have an opportunity to write someone's name on. Maybe it's not time for you to shake the dust off your feet because you never tried with your first one. It's not that they didn't receive you or hear you. It's that you never tried in their, to be in their lives to begin with. What is the value of that soul? Or maybe it's you started making some headway last year, but for one reason or the other, you stopped. What is the value of that person's soul to you? Maybe you were successful in bringing your one to Christ last year, and you celebrated, and it was awesome, and it, it was exciting, and, but it's time to go and get another one. Or maybe you feel like you failed. Maybe you feel like you were rejected. Maybe you feel like your efforts were in vain. If that's the case, take the message today and shake the dust off of your feet. Go and find a soul who, who will respond to you in their life. Before everyone leaves this building today, I want you to take that card and I want you to write a name down. You may think it's silly, but I can't tell you the difference that physical reminder makes of that soul who needs your intervention in their life. I want you to write your name, their name down. I want you to think about their different ways that we can help you bring them to Christ as ministers. How, 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 how can I help you bring them to Christ? How can our shepherds bring them to Christ? This will work. The proof has already been shown. We just need people who are willing. The reality is, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it, unless we show them the way. And the directions to the narrow gate, our friends, our neighbors, our classmates, our, our family members, are on the path that leads to destruction. What are you willing to do to bring that next one to Christ? If you're here this morning and you have not obeyed the gospel, you've not been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, it's time to join us on this narrow path. What is keeping you from accepting the good news of Jesus and his plan for your salvation? If you need the encouragement, if you need the prayers of these brothers and sisters, won't you come as together we stand and sing for your encouragement. He will bear you gently, gently to.